you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. While you're doing that, I just want to remind you that we are looking for and praying that the Lord will provide one, two, maybe three uh, men that would uh, be interested in the uh, mentoring opportunity that we have. We already have three men in the church that are involved in it, and uh, they'll be talking about that uh, in a few weeks. But um, in the announcement, if you look on, on the front page, I added something that was a quote that I came across in a book, and I thought it was appropriate to kind of add on to this uh, uh, explanation of what we're looking for when it comes to this mentoring opportunity. And it reads this way, as citizens of the kingdom of God, you both have a responsibility and a privilege to come alongside the aliens and strangers in your community and demonstrate a way of life and a belief system that will give them a full and abundant life. And so the idea with that as believers is, again, as we've mentioned, that uh, men, we're not looking for men to come and teach uh, a Bible study. This is, you're not going to be taking someone through a book. Uh, the idea is really is, is to befriend an individual, probably someone who doesn't have many Christian friends, if any. Uh, the idea is just to spend some time with the person. Um, it, it's completely flexible. Uh, so that doesn't mean that if, that if you have a vacation plan in June, you do this, you can't take your vacation. It doesn't mean that. Uh, it's very different than that. It's a very, in a sense, casual, um, laid-back kind of a situation, uh, but one that gives us an opportunity. I know a lot of us don't have opportunities really to meet individuals who either are brand spanking new believers or are not believers. Uh, and I, I'm convinced that all of us as believers should be concerned because the longer that we live, it, it's just natural and normal for us to be surrounded by Christian friends. Every, you know, we just kind of gravitate to each other and everything we do, we're with believers. Um, one of the reasons why I coached football for so many years was to have an opportunity to meet non-believers. Yes, I love football and love coaching. It's okay for those things to be together, uh, but that's the idea behind that. Um, one of the reasons why, I know some of you make fun of me because I go to Starbucks to read, uh, but I go to the same one primarily so that I get to know people. Um, and there's been a few times where the Lord's opened up opportunities for me to be able to share with them. I would have never met those people anywhere else. And, and so those opportunities are there. And so this is one of those things. So I trust that you will, uh, uh, especially you men that are retired. I'm not going to point anybody out, but you retired men. Um, I know you have more time on your hands. And uh, again, this is a few hours a month maybe. So uh, women, if your husband's retired and you think he's home too much, this is a good thing for you to pray for him. Um, you know, maybe bring up at dinner conversations. There's all kinds of ways. Um, and uh, I don't think that gentle arm twisting is sinful. So, uh, you know, drop the hint. And uh, we'll go from there. Anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your goodness and your grace and your kindness. We just thank you, Father, that we have this privilege to be called your children, to be protected by you, to be provided for by you. Uh, to, to be adopted into your family, to know that we can approach the throne of grace at any time and be confident that we will find help because we are your children. To know, Lord, that all things are in your hands and we, we don't have to worry about anything. Father, it's, just, it's an amazing relationship that you have allowed us to have with you. And, and of course, it begins because you removed our sin from us because of Christ. And for that, we are grateful. And so, Father, as we gather here as believers this morning, we pray that um, all that we do honors you because that is the desire of our heart, 
Uh, Father, we get together and sing, not just because we like to sing, it's what we sing about. We're singing to you, we are singing for you, we are singing to each other and, and, and reminding ourselves of the truths concerning who you are and what you've done. The money that we give, Father, we, we, we give money to support the work of this church and the other ministries that we support. The Father, the gospel message may continue to be um, propagated throughout the world. And then, Fathers, we spend time together in prayer and, and uh, confessing our sins because, as Steve said, we are not quite yet what we will be. And we want to be reminded of that, Father, because we love you. And we, we do want to even grow in our hatred of our own sin. And then, Fathers, we spend time once again hearing your word being read, and then also as we spend time now focusing on your word and contemplating what it says, we ask, Father, for your blessing. Because, Father, we, we want to be greatly influenced, challenged, and changed by what your word says. And so, Father, now we ask for that blessing. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Last week we looked at several things when we started going through this prayer. The prayer again begins with our Father, which is a simple reminder of the intimate relationship we have with God. It is our assurance that God will hear our prayer and answer. And then we looked at the first three phases, uh, phrases, hallowed be your name, which is asking God to ensure that nothing threatens his reputation for holiness. Your kingdom come, where we are asking for the consummation of the kingdom that was inaugurated with the arrival of Jesus. And then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, asking for God to bring his eternal plan to completion. So as we looked at those things last week and talked about them, we saw that the first three requests are made or are given here. They, they take us or help us to focus on the bigger picture. It gets us outside of ourselves, reminding us that we are part of a bigger universe, a bigger plan, that God is working a larger work than just our immediate circumstances and private issues. The prayer requests given now that we're going to begin to look at today shift to a focus on our present needs. Prayer for daily provision brings to mind the daily supply of manna that was given by God to Israel during their time in the wilderness. This food supply was given daily to cultivate dependency upon God. Now, we sometimes have a little difficulty with that because if you leave here right now, you'll be at Kroger in 30 seconds. And there's, it's, I know, it, I guess, compared, I always call it the big Kroger, the one on Mall Boulevard. So it's smaller than that one, but there's plenty of food there. It's, it's an amazing, if you think about it, if you just think about it, especially if you've been to grocery stores in other countries, it's an amazing grocery store. Right? And if, whether, if you go to Publix or you go to even Food Line, wherever you go, the bottom line is they're amazing grocery stores. And so we tend to forget that we really are dependent upon God for our daily food. We are. I mean, it doesn't take much for them to no longer have any food down there. Right? There's a lot of things that can happen. And it's not just, you know, supply chain stuff. It's all, it goes all the way back to, you know, how, these, um, how the crops are grown. In fact, I just read a book on uh, this volcano, uh, Tambora, that exploded in 1815. And uh, I think it was several hundred times more powerful than the explosion when Mount St. Helens went off. And in most of our country, 
And in most of Europe, in 1816, there was no summer. They didn't have a summer. They had frost on July 4th. Some of those places experienced an unbelievable amount of, of rainfall where crops, entire crops, thousands of acres of crops were destroyed uh, because of too much water. And then in other places, there was, the drought was insane. All because of how the weather patterns changed because of the amount of soot, etc. That went to the air because of the volcano. It was, un, it's unbel, it was just unbelievable to, to read about all of that and how the, how the weather was affected. And of course, remember that what came out of Mount Timbura, Timbora, basically we took all of the pollution that mankind has created since mankind began to pollute the earth and put it all together. It still pales in comparison to what came out of that volcano on that one day. It's pretty amazing. We are dependent upon God. Exodus chapter 16. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So God provided for them, but he tells them why he's doing this. Yes, it was to meet their need. But he says he's doing this for them. He provides for them in a supernatural way, which really they were dependent upon because they, they were on the run. So they weren't like planting and harvesting crops. He says, so you'll know that I am the Lord your God. There's a well-known prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 7. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So the emphasis there really is the daily dependence we have on God. The difficulty of living in dependency mode, I think again is illustrated by Israel when they were refugees from Egypt, which was again over 3,000 years ago, which is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So for four decades, the Lord led this community through many hardships. He provided manna and even maintained their clothing. His concern as they stood on the brink of entering the promised land that they would take credit for the produce of the land and praise themselves for their beautiful homes, saying, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. In other words, the Lord, in a sense, feared that his people would see themselves as self-made and self-reliant. So the question is, do you depend on God? Now, we already know what the right answer is. Oh, yeah, absolutely, I know that. Well, we depend on many things. We depend on food, water, air. We, we depend on a properly functioning body. We depend on these things because they are essential for the continuation of our lives. We depend on God the same way. Without God, we would die. With God, we continue to live. God is our creator and the sustainer of life through his son. And in one sense, the question really is not whether we depend on God, but if we realize our dependence on God. 1 Peter chapter 5 reads this way, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean for Christians to depend on God? Well, an illustration that we've seen a lot or maybe have heard a lot is about, you know, a little child, they depend upon their parents. In the same way they depend on their parents, Christians depend upon God. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, 
you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God, or in the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to depend? Several things. Depend means to be contingent. In other words, when it comes to a little kid, they are, their whole life is contingent upon their parents. They can't feed themselves. They can't prepare food to eat. They cannot take themselves to the doctor when they're ill. They depend on the parents for everything. Our lives must be contingent on God's will. To be dependent means uh, to exist by virtue of a necessary relation. What does that mean? God's existence is not dependent on his relationship with us. But our physical and spiritual existence are dependent on our relationship with him. Everyone must depend upon God for their physical, for their physical existence. Whether they admit that or not. Whether we think about submitting to him or not. It is a simple statement of fact. But only those who believe and obey God have given themselves over to him and thus depend on him for salvation. Depend, being dependent upon God means this, that everything is pending. Everything is undecided. What does that mean? Well, we put, we, we put God first in our lives. We, we want God's will to be done, not our own. Christians... We, we, we don't make decisions based upon our own will, at least we shouldn't. It should be based on the will of God. We do not know what will happen tomorrow or even the next minute, but from our perspective, everything is pending, right? Because we're dependent upon Him. To be dependent means to place reliance or trust on another. We don't depend on people we don't trust. Our dependence on God is linked to our trust in Him. Trust is linked to faith. Paul says that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The more faith we have in God, the more dependent we will be. Maybe we could say this, the more, when I say more dependent, remember that we are already 100% dependent upon God. The idea is that we are aware of that, but at the same time we also engage in actively depending on Him. That's what, that's what God wants us to do, to, to have a recognition and then to live according to that, that truth. To depend upon God means to be dependent, especially for financial support. Without God's blessing, we would have nothing. We would not have any food. We would not have any money. We need to realize that our dependence on God when we sit at the table to eat, that's, that's oftentimes when we pray before we eat, that really is to be a recognition that what we're about to eat really does come from God. He did supply that. Yes, I work, get a paycheck, and I go to Kroger, and I get it, bring the food home, and well, you don't really want me to cook it, but Cindy will cook it, or whatever it is, and, and we eat. But the recognition is that this is, it is God's provision for us. It's not because of how good we are, how great that we are. So we are dependent upon him for everything that we purchase and buy. So what is the result of our realizing our dependence on God? Well, it should be that we are more grateful, that we are more thankful. So, again, now the question would be this. Do you realize... Your dependence upon God. So practically speaking, to rely on God is true, it's good. We know that. But here's how we normally go about it. We frequently rely on our own willpower while believing we are depending or relying on God. So what happens is we actually reduce trust in God to thoughts about God. So we depend upon ourselves we, we, we believe we are the ones that are behind it, but we're thinking about God. And because we're thinking about him, that means we're being dependent. But we're really trusting our own efforts. 
in, in fact, we might even be trusting our own efforts to think about him. But relying on God's not a matter of mental willpower. It's a lifestyle. It really is a holistic shift in daily focus. And it involves mind, body, and soul. So we rely on God in several different ways. One is by trusting he will do what is best. Even when we experience suffering, loss, sacrifice, our anxiety is often rooted in trying to avoid suffering. Instead, Christ calls us to willingly take up our cross and follow him. So rather than resenting difficult circumstances, we trust God even when we don't understand his plans. So you catch it there. It's not just saying the words, oh yeah, I trust God. Yeah, we're going through a hard time, but I'm trusting the Lord. That's good. But when you're not in church and you're home, are you irritable? Are you cynical? Are you sick and tired of how hard it is? Yeah, you're not, that, that's, that, that's revealing what, where your heart is. If we're truly trusting God and depending upon God, it doesn't mean you're not going to feel bad or tired because of the difficulties, okay? We're human beings. But it does mean that my emotional state, the way that I treat other people, I'm not going to be giving in to those feelings. I'm going to be making the right decisions in how I, in how I, in how I de decide to do things, how I treat people. I may, because I feel tired, I may want to withdraw from some of my responsibilities and just lie in bed or just, you know, become a zombie and watch TV or what have you. That's not correct. We're Christians. We depend upon God. We trust him. Yes, this circumstance or these circumstances are extremely difficult. Clearly, that I'm going through them does mean God desires that I go through them. He desires that I go through them, depending upon him for strength, and continue to fulfill my responsibilities, and to continue to live as a Christian, with the right, the right attitude, all those things that, that go into being a Christian. That's what that means. It doesn't mean that somehow, you know, we just, we, we kind of, you know, ignore people or we treat them poorly and then we still pray at night asking God to relieve us of our circumstances. We pray that God will relieve us of our circumstances, but we should also pray that God will strengthen us through them and in them, that we will learn from them, and that we will also live well. We live as a Christian while we are enduring them. Remember that one, there's many different reasons, I think, why we go through difficult circumstances, but one of those is this. You and I, going through difficulties, brings glory to God. How does it bring glory to God? It brings glory to God because when the world observes us in our difficulties and observes themselves or, another not, or other non-believers in difficulties, they should see a difference. And the difference in our lives is based on the reality of the true existence of God and our relationship with him. What they see is that it, it really does make a difference. He really does, or she really does. They have a strength. They have a peace. There is a grace that is there that is difficult to be able to explain. And so it is imperative that when we go through times of difficulty that we do not act like the world and complain and carry on at, like the world. We are to endure these things joyfully. It doesn't mean that you're always laughing and having a good time. But there's, again, a sense of contentment, of peace. You are at peace despite all these things. Is it hard? Man, you better believe it. You can't do that on your own. 
We will run out of strength. We will run out of energy. We must be dependent upon God. And that dependency upon God is, upon God is cultivated when things are going well. When things go bad, not only do we need to depend upon God more, it also sometimes serves to reveal that we've not been depending upon the Lord, that we've not been growing. And so we must take advantage of the good times that we have. It's, it's not a negative view. It's not like we're living a life saying, oh, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. No, it's not that at all. We, you can truly enjoy. If things are going well, be happy. It's great. But at the same time, use your time wisely. And continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know we live in a sinful world, a world that's cursed by sin. We all know that our bodies one day are they're going to begin to fall apart if they haven't already. How are you going to handle that? We, we already know for a fact, people we know and love, maybe us, are going to be given a diagnosis one day that someone we know or love or ourselves has cancer, or they have this, or they have that. And that news can be devastating to an individual. Absolutely. And it's already difficult enough because your entire life changes as you then seek to accommodate the new issues that you have and things that must go on. But it doesn't touch your Christianity. We respond as a Christian. We, under, we know where this comes from. We don't sit around and whine, oh, why me, why me? We don't, we, don't, we don't even worry about that. What we worry about, what we're concerned about is dealing with it in a way that pleases the Lord. So there is then in us, I believe at that time, what appears to be an inherent toughness. But it's not a toughness that's born out of your personality or maybe a hard upbringing. It's, it's a grasping of, of reality because we know the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. And he is our father. We also practice reliance by seeking God's will and expressing our need for him in prayer. Perhaps you pray every morning, and that's a good thing. It helps you to set your mind on God throughout the day. Psalm chapter 5, verse 3, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So when we begin the day by focusing on God's promised presence and admitting our need, we prepare ourselves to notice his constant provision and presence. Remember, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in the Psalms. God has appointed us as caretakers of the temples of his Holy Spirit. And so we faithfully live out that calling uh, as we attend to our physical health by meeting our God-given needs and not devoting our bodies to sinful activities. From Genesis chapter 2 onward, Scripture points to the importance of rest. Without adequate rest, we have far less ability to focus on God. John Piper said this, It's crystal clear that my sanctification level rises and falls with eight hours of sleep versus five hours of sleep. And there's a lot of truth in that. Right, so we, we need the rest. Now, if you're getting eight hours, that doesn't mean you need to get 12. Right, but the idea is you know, we're not promoting a form of laziness. Uh, but we need to get adequate rest. We need to recognize the limits of our bodies and care for them. And so there are times that we set aside the demands of daily life and rest. We choose to trust that God is in control. It's not that we always have to be out doing everything because we want to control everything. We allow God to refresh us physically and spiritually. And so nutrition and exercise are, are practices of reliance that can help us focus on God. It is unfortunate that we live in a society, and Western society isn't the only society that suffers from this. We have, people have some strange views sometimes of what it means to take care of yourself. 
It doesn't mean everybody's trying to look like Adonis. It's not what it is. The idea is, is you know, if you want to eat some junk food, go ahead. Just don't make that your daily diet. Uh, we need to get exercise. You, you can't be a couch, but you need to be active. Your body functions better when you're active. Bottom line. You want to know what the secret is to exercise? Find one you like. That's the one you're going to stick with. You have people come to me and go, oh, can you help me lift weights? Yeah, but my first question is, do you really like it? Well, no, but I have to do it. Well, then you're not going to do it for very long. And you're going to go through a whole lot of pain and suffering for nothing. All right, so you need to find something you like and then do that. All right, so we're not talking about, you know, again, trying to win some kind of beauty contest. The idea is just to help our body to function the way that it's supposed to. Right? Because God has given us care over our bodies as well as other responsibilities that we have. We also struggle at times with, dis with discouraging thoughts and emotions, especially when we're in the midst of trials. So here's the thing. I want you to remember this. While you and I may not be able to stop experiencing a specific thought or emotion, we can choose to define reality by the truth of God's word rather than by our own minds. All right, so there are going to, we are going to have, if you want to call them this, intrusive thoughts. We sometimes have thoughts we don't know where they always come from. That doesn't matter. We sometimes will have various emotional responses to things that are going on. And those emotions are real, but they can be wrong-headed. And, and we don't have to live by how we feel. You don't have to do that. Now, it'd be great if the truth we know to be true... And our emotions were always corresponding at the same time, but that doesn't always happen. But because we've been created by God in his image and the special abilities that God's given all of us, we have the ability, it's hard, we can do this, and the more you do it, the better you get at it. We have the ability to, in a sense, again, define reality by the truth of God's word and not by the way we feel. At the moment, you feel like all is lost, but I know it is not because I know what the word of God says. I feel like everything is hopeless, but I know that it is not because I know what the Word of God says. If I'm given a, a, a diagnosis of some disease and the doctors say, there's just no way to get around this, you've got less than a year. Now, I, I'm convinced God can change that, so I have no doubt about that. But I don't have to fall apart. I don't have to use it to manipulate people. I don't have to then suddenly go on a, on a sinning spree because I only have a year left. I want to get all of it in. I don't have to do any of those things. Right? I define reality based on the truth of God's word, which means that if I really do die in a year, though I'm not happy about it, I don't have to you know, become overly concerned because I, I do know heaven's a real place. People really do go there. And I'm going to be there with the Lord. I, you know, I, th I think that we have this tension. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go yet. I enjoy life. God's designed us to enjoy life. All right? So and that's not a sin. But I'm not clinging to it at all cost, all right? And so we, we have that ability, especially as believers. That's what it means to live in dependence upon God. In fact, the Bible tells us that in 2 Corinthians 10 that we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ by bringing truth to mind and choosing to believe his promises no matter how we feel in the moment. Mental health is a huge issue. The problem is, is too often we depend, what, uh, we depend upon what the world says. We need to go back to the best psychology book that's ever been written. It's the Bible. Fill our minds with what the Word of God says. That is not a narrow-minded approach. That is as broad-minded as you could be. You don't believe me? Talk to a secular psychologist. 
They say, well, I want to include the Bible. And they're, they're, they want to exclude the Bible. Unless they just want your money. They say, oh, well, we can incorporate whatever you want. You know? Anyway. What we need is solid knowledge of truth to effectively take thoughts captive. By studying and meditating on Scripture, we build on that foundation that allows us to answer our thoughts and emotions with God's Word. So regular times of devotional reading, group Bible studies, messages from the Word of God, all contribute to the reservoir of truth that we have. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 24, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the things I learned a long time ago when I was uh, studying Hebrews chapter 10, when he says, let us consider how to stir up one another, uh, in the Greek language where it says to stir up, um, it, it's talking about agitating. So if I'm agitating you, I'm doing exactly what God wants. <laughs> right? So that may even, that now, I'm not, I've never done a study on how agitating and nagging go together, but it may be that some nagging in a marriage may be sanctified. But there's a line somewhere, so we have to be careful with that. So it's not a free license to nag. Uh, but maybe a little bit is okay. All right? But basically, when we are together in church, we rely on God by leaning on our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he's provided for us. And, you know, because we, be, we are dependent upon each other. And God designed us that way. And he's given spiritual gifts to the church, to individuals, so that we can exercise those gifts to encourage each other, to help each other. We were designed for relationships. We were designed for accountability. We were designed for discipleship. There is no reason for shame in seeking help from a pastor, counselor, mentor, or just another Christian friend. Our relational God delights in the interdependence of his people. Whenever we put our total dependence on God, he strengthens us. To depend on God means to live a life which shows that your existence is based on the relationship you have with God. It is to completely follow, to trust, and rely on God's directive as written in his word, irrespective of how difficult or hopeless your circumstance is or what you perceive the result may look like. We should depend upon God because it is imperative to our survival. Therefore, for us to survive and grow spiritually, we must depend on God. John 15, verse 5, what did Jesus say? I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when we depend upon God, he enables us to live for him, which implies really the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5. Furthermore, depending on God is where we draw strength to pull through tough times, and we draw spiritual energy to overcome temptations. We are not permitted to rely on ourselves, nor to rely on any other source apart from God. We're not permitted. Jeremiah chapter 17 this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. See, oftentimes, when you live, as you live your Christian life, sometimes our lack of praying, you know, just as we pray on a daily basis, our lack of prayer, sometimes that may take place because we really are depending on ourselves. We're not saying the sentence. But the way we're living is, we are proclaiming, I don't need God. I only need him for what I think are the important things or the big things. But we need God for everything. We really do. 
And, and, and some say, well, that, that's just a mission of weakness. Absolutely. And that's what we, we are weak without him. Remember, being weak doesn't mean that you're somehow being a wuss. The idea is that I, I can't make it on my own. I can't live as a Christian consistently on my own, which includes every aspect of life. One last thing. I just want to kind of re-emphasize this because this is, I, I believe this is very important. When you and I actively depend upon God, we have peace of mind. Peace of mind is often referred to mean freedom from mental stress and anxiety. It is a state of mental calmness of the mind. It is also known in some circles, depending on what you're reading or who you're listening to, as euphoria. And I don't mean necessarily that you're feeling, you know, super high and, and happy, but this is that feeling of being content and satisfied. It is where we originally were before Adam sinned in the garden. And I, I believe every human being yearns for this. Having peace of mind is what every single person yearns for. It's one of the regular phrases uh, on the lips of many people today. I, they just want to, I just want to relax. That's what they, what, normally what they mean by that is, it's all, all they want to turn this off. That they're feeling all the stress here. It, it, it does sometimes exhibit itself in having a lack of physical energy. And so we feel tired. It's because we're mentally exhausted. Right? We're, we have not recharged our, our minds in this way. And, and the Lord, I think, helps us with that. So when we go through all these struggles on our own, we, it depletes us of both mental and physical energy. So peace of mind is important. The reason why people can't sleep at night often is because they don't have peace of mind. What do we say? I just can't turn my brain off. Now, sometimes a person can't turn their brain off because they're, you know, they're, let's say they're basically inquisitive. They're always trying to learn and they're always thinking about stuff. That's one thing. But many, many others, what it is, is just the various things they're concerned with. And they can't turn that off or they're unable to turn that off. They don't have peace of mind. More than anything, people are very concerned about, they would call it our mental well-being. But to have true peace of mind can only come when we are at peace with God. Because when we are at peace with God, we put all our trust and reliance on Him. I'm sure all of you have seen this. Have you ever seen a little kid, like two or three years old? You had a friend's house, and their kid is, you know, they're just like a tornado. I mean, they're just all over the place. And, all kinds of, and then... Let's say in the middle of all the adult conversation, the kid's curled up in the corner, just fast asleep on the carpet. And they're just, they're totally at peace. And sometimes somebody will say, oh, if I could just be like that. Where you don't have a care in the world. How great would that be? Do you think you could sleep well if all of a sudden you didn't have a care in the world? Man, I think we'd sleep well. Believers, we can have that. In the same way that little kid, the little kid doesn't know this, but their whole world, which is ordered by their parents, if it's a solid, a, decent, a decently solid home, they know, they don't know all this, they can't say it, but they know they're loved, they know they're cared for, they're not even thinking, will there be food tomorrow? There's just an expectation, there will be food tomorrow, because mom and dad are here. That's, that's, it, their life in that sense is just so simple. It's, nothing occurs to them, nothing matters to them in that sense. They can truly just enjoy the here and now because that's all there is, is here and now. And tomorrow will be the here and now tomorrow. And we desperately would love to have that. And as believers, we can. We can have that. Now, I'm not saying you can fall asleep on the carpet in the middle of the floor. You may still wake up sore, but you can still sleep really good at night. So again, to have true peace of mind can only come when we're at peace with God. 
Because we're at peace with God, we put all of our trust and reliance on Him. We realize and we do actively depend upon God for everything. And it helps us to find rest because we know that He has better plans for us. Even when He doesn't give us what we've prayed for. So one of the benefits of depending on God is that you and I will have peace of mind. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, as a result of all of that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So this, this peace of God is not just being at rest, but the peace of God is so powerful and influential that it guards your hearts. Well, guards our hearts from what? Doubts about God, doubts about the future, doubts about provision, doubts about his love for you, doubt about our future home. All those doubts that can creep in, the peace of God protects your heart from that. And so you are worry-free and you can rest. I don't know about you, but when you get a good night's rest, it's awesome. Many, many years ago, I had a, had a real serious thyroid problem. It was just out of control. It was hyper in every way. And I had a resting heart rate of 180, kind of high. And uh, things weren't going well. And it was very difficult to sleep. Um, I was, uh, every hour I was waking up, having to go to the bathroom, um, not because I was an old man, because I wasn't, but I had to, it, it's because I was constantly thirsty and constantly drinking. It was just this vicious cycle. And I was running on this nervous energy. I was losing weight and all these things. And this, you know, the doctors were trying to figure out what was going on. They eventually figured it all out. So anyway, eventually what it, it came to the point to where they radiated my thyroid, which basically just killed it. And then this, this racing heart rate that I had, uh, and they were giving me this beta blocker and my blood pressure was up. It was all this crazy stuff. Um, we were at that time actually in Savannah. I was living with, we were living with a friend of ours who was a retired medical doctor. And so I remember this night we were listening to uh, a tape recording of Martin Lloyd-Jones, my favorite preachers. And all of a sudden I felt something different. My heart just was no longer beating at 180. It just dropped to 70. And I said, doc, he said, what? I said, I, I think I'm normal. And so he, he, he got up and ran and got a stethoscope and he, he listened to my heart and he goes, yes, yes, yes. And he said, well, he said, now, in my professional opinion, I'm not going to say that you're normal, but your heart is beating regular. That night, this is what I remember, that night when I went to bed, I thought really nothing of it. I mean, I was happy. I woke up the next morning. That was the first time in almost two years. Man, I talk about sleeping like a baby. I woke up, and all I could think was, wow, sleep is awesome. This is such, it is so great. I mean, I, it was just this rush. And that's what God can give us. And so this simple phrase that Jesus teaches, give us this day our daily bread. It goes way beyond just asking God for bread for the day. He's expressing that that's because that's the basic human need that we have. And we are, we are in, in need of everything in our life in that way. Thank goodness God is a great provider.
and he can be trusted. Before I finish, let me just remind you of one more thing, and that's this. The biggest thing that stands in the way of anyone from having that peace of God is our sin. We are eternally separated from God by our sin and our rebellion. See, the reason why rebellion is such a, um, a common theme is because we really are dependent upon God. There's a refusal to acknowledge that for the non-believer. Thus, they are rebelling against the truth from that very moment. For every second they take a breath, they're rebelling against God. They're in sin. And nothing can fix that except the gracious provision of God the Father who sent his son to die on the cross to take our punishment. And so when we give ourselves to God and we place our trust in the personal work of Jesus Christ and we receive forgiveness of sin, we then are restored then to that relationship that rebellion now is put aside and we are adopted into his family. And that is the beginning of the peace that we have with God and the peace that we have from God. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. We thank you, Lord, for the peace that we have. And Father, we know that as human beings, there's times that we, in a sense, are much more aware of the peace that we have from you than at other times. But we have the peace that comes from you, and we are so grateful. And we thank you. Father, I pray that for each one here, for each believer who may not be actively recognizing their dependence upon God and are living in light of the truth of the Word of God, I pray, Lord, that you will convict them of these things. And they will recognize that the peace of mind that we all so desperately want is all within our reach as believers because of our relationship with you. And we need to stop living like we did before where we were living in rebellion to the truth of what we know to be true and align ourselves back again rightly with you and live in submission to the written word. And we do pray, Father, for those who don't know Christ. Because, we, Father, we know that for all the things they do and all the things they say and all the things they try, they will never have peace of mind. Even if they get it for just a little while, it's fleeting. Because while they are, are separated from you, and that separation will continue into all of eternity if they do not turn to you and come to Christ. We pray that they will. And so we ask, Father, in your kindness and in your graciousness, that, Lord, you would draw them to yourself. Open their eyes that they may see the truth of the word of God and come to believe in Christ. Father, we thank you once again for your ongoing daily presence and provision in our lives. Bless us now, Lord, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.